If you suddenly declared yourself Emperor of America, how would you do it? Well, here's how one man did it. At the preemptory request of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself Emperor of these United States, and in virtue of the authority thereby vested in me, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the states of the Union to assemble in musical hall of this city on the first day of February next. Then and there, to make such alterations in the existing laws of the Union as may ameliorate the evils under which the country is laboring and thereby cause confidence to exist, both at home and abroad, in our stability and integrity. It was signed Norton I, Emperor of the United States, and he would later add Protector of Mexico to his title as well. Welcome to The Short Bohemian, the show about stuff. This week's episode will be about a man from the 1840s in the Bay Area who declares himself Emperor of America and Protector of Mexico. This week on The Short Bohemian, Emperor Norton of the United States and Protector of Mexico. Despite many people's first reactions towards Joshua Abraham Norton, he was not an idiot, nor was he insane. In fact, he spent the majority of his early life a very successful businessman and entrepreneur as part of the San Franciscan social elite. Not to mention, he was also charter member of the Occidental Lodge, number 22 of the Freemasons. Norton was also said to be well-versed in both science and politics, as well as a very good chess player but on the same token also believed himself Emperor of the United States Protector of Mexico, issued his own currency, collected taxes, and made various proclamations. But that's not where it all began. Norton's story begins with the English colonists John and Sarah Norton, whom happened to be his parents, and in 1820 moved from Britain to Angola Bay, South Africa, along with 5,000 other Englishmen and their three sons, of which Emperor Norton was one. They would go on to spend another 21 years there before packing up and moving to Cape Town, South Africa, where by in 1848, not yet Emperor Norton's mother, father, and two brothers will have passed away, leaving Norton his father's estate worth about $40,000 to use at his discretion. And in 1849, Norton would finally make his way to San Francisco like many others at the time, hoping to make a fortune in the gold rush. Without my hands helping, once in San Francisco, things were looking pretty good for Norton. In 1851, he had started his own business, and by 1852, strategic investments in the development of valuable assets would put the total of Norton's estate at a whopping $250,000, or $5 million in today's money. However, this would be as good as things were going to get for Norton, as things went bad, fast. It starts with an unfortunate rice investment, which was projected to have a 200% return, setting him up to earn a total of $73,000, but due to some unfortunate circumstances, the deal would end up costing him $23,000 after he tried to back out of the deal, 
But this was only the beginning of the end, because by 1855, the gold rush had finished and the San Francisco economy was tanking in every sense of the word. The real estate market had crashed, rendering all of Norton's properties virtually useless. His banks and businesses started to fail, and Norton went from being one of the wealthiest people in town, frequenter of all the finest hotels, to living in a rundown boarding house for the working class. There, Norton, displeased with the State of the Union, would proclaim himself Emperor of America. He would go on to abolish Congress, command the construction of various monuments for the benefit of the San Franciscans, abolish the Democratic and Republican parties, and be an overall icon for the people of San Francisco. He would spend the rest of his life living off the goodwill of the people of San Francisco, dining at the best restaurants in town free of charge, collecting quote-unquote tax from the owners of certain establishments, and having a reserved seat at the theater any time he wished, which he, of course, never had to pay for. Some say that he was stupid or insane, others that he was just unable to accept his business failures. But in any case, the whole city loved him. And on the day of his death in 1880, the headlines of all the newspapers would read, Le Roi est mort, or the king is dead. And in death as in life, the entire funeral was paid for and organized by the citizens of San Francisco, of which 10,000 attended. I'd like to thank wikipedia.com, the Encyclopedia of San Francisco, and history.com for providing the information necessary to make this episode possible. Special thanks to Gordon Sebring for providing us with this week's theme, and the Greasy Shovel production team for all their hard work and dedication. Thanks for joining us on our third episode of The Short Bohemian. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next time for more stories about stuff. Music credits to Yvonne Repin, the 2016 class of Ensemble 2, and the 2013 class of Ensemble Plus. <laughs>